Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. All right, this week we're going to get in our topic of the week, the evolution of market engagement for discovery. Now, my first comment is going to be how Jason let me down because Jason always has been good for being, if not the first person to put a comment in, at least somebody to put a comment in. And this year, our, this week, our Monday thing only got one response. Yeah, it's a uh, tough question. It was a tough question. I actually had a couple people reach out to me on LinkedIn saying, hey, can you explain the question? I said, I guess it was a little amorphous. It was sort of this big, broad, you know, question. So the question was, how does market engagement for discovery need to involve, need to evolve? And uh, I think I probably could have put a little more context on it around, you know, we're in this stage of it's different now because of COVID and the pandemic. And as we eventually, knock on wood, hopefully are able to start leaving our houses again and going and doing stuff. What have we learned during this time and having to do it differently? Uh, and how are we going to change and build a better pro pro uh, process program for market engagement for discovery? Does that make, would that have helped you, Jason? Yes. Okay. With that said, the good news is we have this call and we can actually have that conversation here. So I've got literally my pretty much my whole answer because it was the only one, you know, my view is there's a great opportunity for us to take the best of virtual and focus in person on areas of that deliver the most value. Uh, I actually, one of the ways Rob joined our call is that I did a market engagement call with him. Uh, Steve and I are doing some research around uh, professional development for product management and he and I had a wonderful call. And I actually have found Zoom which is the one I use or other virtual tools I've seen other people use is a great budget effective. I don't have to fly or drive or go anywhere approach to doing market engagement and having those, those open-ended conversations. It, what's also great is I can actually record them, right? It, it, it's built into it and people are, it's not as in my mind invasive as putting your phone out on the saying, Hey, can I press record and record it? It's sort of, and people are now getting used to this. So I think that there's going to be a way for us to leverage virtual things like Zoom to do a broader, more, you know, broader discovery, more discovery in the open-ended, uh, but then save the in-person visits. I still find them valuable for things like a day in the life or getting other stakeholders out to learn from and learn with. So I'm going to put this question out now to the panelists, since nobody else answered besides me, and we're going to have some other questions coming to it, but I'm going to start with my man, Jason, right? Now that I've given you that context, you know, what are you thinking? So I think you answered your own question very correctly. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, and I, I think you get Zoom is tricky and all the virtual meetings are tricky. So I think that we have to, in order to evolve, we have to see what makes sense and how to um, uh, choreograph a Zoom discovery call so that you get that level of engagement and ability to have those kind of open-ended questions and those kind of things without seeing. So for example, 
I think I would avoid getting more than two or three uh, customers or uh, you know stakeholders, external market, that kind of thing on the call because you still want to have that level of intimacy that you have with face-to-face. Um, but you know, because of the ability to, to have so many people on a Zoom call, I feel like you know you could easily you can easily get to that point where you have 30 or 40 on there and then you're not getting that level of feedback that you need um, that you would have gotten before by doing the, you know, traveling and cold and calling and those kinds of things. Right. So you just gotta be then careful you're doing, a, then not, you're doing yeah. a webinar. Yeah, you're doing a webinar. You got <laughs> but you just gotta be careful because you don't want to abuse a situation that you can get, you can think that you can get so much more input at once. You still need to take your time with it and just use the tools as a kind of replacement for more of the face-to-face versus trying to do a, you know, en masse situation. I very much agree with you. And I, I, I have had cir- circumstances where they're like, hey, can we get a gang of people together? And I'm like, <laughs> let's not. Because, you know, I, I, have a, I have a lot of bad experience with focus groups, which tend to be mobs. And one person says one thing, everybody goes, oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it. And then they all agree with one another for like 15 minutes. And uh, I'd much rather have a one-on-one. And yet what I can do is I can have a one-on-one with you at 10 o'clock and a one-on-one with somebody else at 1130 and not have to, you know, fly across the country for it. And I'm reminded of, there's an old Dilbert cartoon. Maybe I've mentioned it two or three times. Um, he gets cajoled into going on a sales call. And so Dilbert and the sales guy show up in wherever and the buyer's first response is, don't, don't they have telephones where you guys come from? Why do I, why are you having to meet, you know, in my office? And, you know, I, I find that setting up a Zoom call is now second nature to most of the people I'm dealing with. And it might as well be one-on-one or two-on-one. I want to take the other side of this because I've had a lot of success with this um, be- before and pre, you know, pre pandemic and, and during the pandemic. Um, and even in when I had my company, um, we, we did a lot of job mapping and we started to use, we started to do things pre before we actually went out. So we built a lot of the graphics and a lot of the, the workflows um, before we went out. I've found since we've, you know, since we haven't been able to travel, um, that one is we have to we have to really spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it is we want to learn. So we, we think about we think about it in two ways. What is it? What is what what additional knowledge do we need about a certain topic, and that could help direct where we're going. Or are we trying to make a decision on something, and we need to get something from somebody to make that decision? But what I found is that we've been using tools like Mural. And we've been using Teams a lot. And the whiteboarding and the collaboration aspect of the tools have made it really easy for us to be able to do the same level of job analysis and workflow analysis as we did when we went out. And we're, you know, un- unlike, you know, Steve's comment about bringing too many people together, the more the merrier. Uh, and it's been, it's been working really well. And, and it's something I think Vincent said that we can tape it. We can tape it. I can send it off to my transcriber and they can break, they can see the video, they can see who's talking and they can break it apart. And we've had a lot of great um, results come back from, you know, uh, to the, to the, a lot of great results come back from the work that we've done to the extent that I don't know if we'll, we'll eagerly jump on planes 
and do and do face to face, you know, as we start to come out of the pandemic, because this has been working really well, and it's as it's it, the cost effectiveness of it is phenomenal. So, Rob, is that, a, is that a nature of the audience that you're dealing with, where everybody is expected to like contribute, and they have this, um, they just they they're just naturally aware that you know contributing is going to be a part of the call, or is it that's just a how great question? It? No, well, well. Well, of course, Jason, it's how I organize it, of course. But why would you even think otherwise? I don't um, it, no, it's, it's, you know, it's a great question. It's the, it's the nature of the call, but it's also, you know, we're dealing with, um, you know, if you look at our business, we deal mostly with, it's B2B, um, it's senior level. So it's, you know, corporate secretaries, compliance officers, um, advisors. So it's people who are really serious about what they do. And we don't incent. So we, we provide no incentive for them to participate. They're, they're usually customers of ours or prospects. Um, but in some instances with the leaders, mostly they're customers. And, you know, everybody participates. And, you know, and I'm a trained moderator. I mean, I, that's what I've spent the majority of my career is in uh, research. And um, so it's just a matter of getting everybody to talk. And, and we go in with a plan. So, you know, you know, when you're doing a, um, a jobs to be done type of analysis and you're walking in with your, your, your workflow, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at something, there's something visual that they're able to see and you're able to work using that to understand the steps and where they're, where they're getting hung up in the steps. So it's, it's, you know, it's very visual. We also do a lot of pre-work. So we'll send out yeah. stuff beforehand as well to make yeah, sure that they key. understand what they're, what, yeah. what, it, what we're trying to get to because we're spending, um, you know, we're spending, you know, an hour and a half with people, which again is a drag on the phone, right? Yeah. An hour and a half video call is, a, is it can kill you. I, I think the longer it goes, the harder it is on the, the in the mm -hmm. virtual realm. Tom, it sounds like your cat wants to say something. Yeah, she certainly does. It's my daughter's cat, and since uh, she's doing school virtually, we kind of trade off who babysits the cat. It's my <laughs> turn. <laughs> well, let's get your thoughts on virtual, you know, on this changing and where it's going. Where do you see it, it evolving? Um, I agree with the comment that I don't see it going back to hitting the road um, as much. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I had already been heading down this road myself, um, doing things more virtually as far as, uh, you know, discovery calls, um, doing research with clients trying to gather information for, for specs. You know, what it comes down to, what I found over the past several years, and especially the past two to three years, was is uh, depends on the relationship I have. If I've built a relationship, an established relationship with somebody, I don't have to meet them uh, in person. Everything's on the phone. I can just drop them a one-line email asking if they have a minute. And since the relationship is established chances are i'll hear from them in a day or two and just you know we'll get online we might do webex um might just be a phone call but we can walk through ideas and and at that point they're feeling like they're part of the process for development and they're getting input and they can see what benefits them in the long run they're more than happy to do it but it's it's that i had already built the relationship where I've been to lunch, been to dinner, been out with, you know, with them for a few beers, something along those lines so that um, we know each other well enough. I, I just ping them and, and they're ready to go. 
Well, it's interesting to think about that because how I completely agree. One of the main reasons you do the go out to visit them is to start building those relationships, whether it's at an event or coming to their site. It's it'll be interesting to see how that evolves because there's going to be whole cycles where people haven't met the people, right? I, I know a lot of people yeah. have been hired into product management, director of product management roles. And how do you break that? How do you create those relationships and stuff without having the lunch with them, the coffee with them? That used to always be the, 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 the lead, right? Hey, I'm going to be in your area. You want to do lunch. You know, you want to grab a coffee, mm-hmm. you want to grab a beer and it, it helped you build those relationships. That being said, once you have them, it's great. You know, what I have found is I can do a, a discovery interview a lot quicker than I had when I was doing it in person. When you do it in person, there is so much of the greeting and the yeah. formalities and that type of stuff, where when you're doing it on a Zoom, you just like, all right, let's cut right to the chase. And I can do what used to be an hour, hour and a half meeting in 30 minutes because you're just getting right to the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, that's part of it is with people who you've, there's at least some level of familiar, uh, familiarity and, and knowledge with. So this has been a great conversation. Jason hasn't changed my mind this week like he did last week. Actually, I think he agreed with me, although I, I'm not sure about the, the it's focus. It's still early, I might flip on it. Before, before we leave this point, uh, I'm working with a team of product managers right now and, and the product managers were, um, the product managers were working on work that would be deployed by professional services. And yet none of them had really connected. I mean, they'd never met before. Um, and here during the, you know, remote only times, um, we set up interviews. No, we set up observation with the product managers watching the operations people deal with an incident. And just contacted them and said, hey, next time you have an incident, please give us a call. And so an incident came up, the, the rep called the, uh, the product manager, the product manager set up a Zoom and just she, uh, the operator just shared his screen and said, well, here's what I'm doing. You know, I'm using this tool to do this thing. And it's not like I can write down what my process is, but as I see things, I'm like, oh, now I need to use this tool or this is my logic. So he just did a, a shadow of him going through dealing with this incident and talking it through. I mean, the operator was saying, now I'm doing this and this is why, and now I'm doing this and this is why. And the product manager was floored at how much great information he was able to get just by shadowing through Zoom or you know any screen sharing, right? I hadn't even thought about how, it, I guess it depends on what the day in life is and how much of it is online. Uh, how much you could do in a Zoom, so. Yeah, so in this case, because they were doing the work, you know, on the computer, it was easy to share the screen and say, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm thinking. Hey, Steve, I have have a friend who um, was telling me that in the last three or four months, he's had a lot of pickup in work. He does um, video-based research. So he'll give, he'll send out cameras or, um, or, you know, things that could happen off the phone. And he said a lot of that work has been picking up because you can't go out anymore. And they've been doing exactly what you're saying is they've been able to capture the faults in a process. Somebody takes a picture of it and then submits it up to a uh, site. Have you seen that trend anywhere? Um, no, not, not that one specifically, but um, I, I certainly have seen everyone I've talked to is 
is much more open to being shadowed or being on video than they were 12 months ago. Awesome. My, my other one is I'm also, as you may have heard, I'm tech support for every member of my family. <laughs> and uh, my mom gets herself in these tremendously terrible situations, usually related to Windows 10. And I finally have taught her enough to take a photo of the computer and text me the photo. Because once she's in this terrible situation, she can't go to a Zoom screen. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, I've, I've trained her to message photos and, and uh, feeling pretty good about that. My brother-in-law and I succeeded at getting my mom to get on a Mac and made it a lot easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't get me started. I'm going to just have my mother send you all her problems. <laughs> well, that's yeah, yeah. I get that too. You know, my dad used to say, "Hey, um, I gave your name to a guy at church." You know, and I get this call from out of the blue, and he's like, "Hey, this is Bill Jones. I go to church with your dad." You know, he said you could help me with my Windows 8 problem, and I'm like, "Ah, go away." Well, it's interesting because the conversation we had here. Uh, here's the poll from Wednesday. The number one, and obviously where I answered, and this is actually maybe a where I changed my answer, uh, balance and person observation and virtual engagement. That's sort of what I talked about, how I put it out there. But hearing Rob and Steve talk about the even the ability to do some of that whiteboarding and even day in the life type stuff virtually, maybe part of it, you know, it's hard to empathize through Zoom. Right, uh, you know, I, I feel it is, especially if it's if you're doing it with a conference room of people and they're, they're not everybody, you know, that type of stuff. I'm wondering if I would change my question, my answer to include more stakeholders as part of the process, because to Tom's point, you know, sometimes you need to build those relationships in person and getting the design or development lead or a marketing person or somebody, it may be more valuable to take that in-person time to help them get to know them and empathize versus doing some of those days in life, or maybe you combine them both. Tom, you you talked about that importance of, of, of you connecting. How often did you leverage those types of visits to get a other stakeholders from inside your company to, to do the same type of stuff? Um. With Fiserv, I tried to get out there as much as possible, um, tried to build that that concept internally that people would go out or would work together. Fiserv's a little different and a little harder. Um, where I am now, uh, everybody's on board with it. If they can make the introduction, uh, make the connection so the relationships are built, there's no problem with that at all. Um, if it's you know, to get me out at a conference or somewhere where I can build that relationship there on board, but bringing in somebody from marketing or sales, them doing introductions or um, getting them involved to try and uh, you know, create the process or you know, get, get something going, it's much easier to, to do that here. Um, getting the buy-in from others uh, where they can see the bigger picture, like in sales and marketing, um, development if they if they know where you're going and where you're getting information and why you're doing it and how it benefits everybody especially the products um, they're all in 
Awesome. Jason, which did you vote on this one? I decided not to vote until 2024. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I voted on this one. And unfortunately, I also agree with you here, Grant. Um, this won't be, this won't happen again, likely. But, uh, you know, this one's a, a kind of a tough balance. And maybe it really just depends on what kind of discovery we're talking about. Um, you know, I've always liked intimacy <laughs> when it comes to, uh, the engagement with my um, uh, with my market, whether it be a, a customer, non-customer, um, a customer not on a product that I'm trying to get discovery on, uh, I feel like I can have a lot of more um, intimate conversations. And I like the what you put here is the balance of in-person observation, because I think as product people, it's not always about the technology. And if I can get an in-person observation about how their desk is set up, how their office is set up, how, where their paper is, because I've seen so many paper situations where we already have electronic components inside of the um, software and they're still using paper printouts from some sort of dot matrix printout to figure out things for administrative purposes. You can't get that by looking at a virtual screen, right? So, it, you, you kind of have to really kind of live in that person's world a little bit. Um, look at how all the computers are. If you want to see resolutions, look at the resolutions of all the secondary monitors on the screen. And now you'll know why that some you're having some UI issues with regards to your user base. I've, I've gotten so much information from just being a part of that process for kind of uh, getting that kind of discovery. I would never want to give that away. Um, and also in that situation, I've Lots of people, internal stakeholders also want to be a part of that process. But what the problem I have with that, unless they're aligned like I am into what we're looking for, um, they can they can just cause different, you know, just delays uh, or sidetrack us into other directions and those kind of things. It helps me stay uh, in schedule. But this then goes again with what Rob was saying was, you know, uh, prepare, you know, preparation is key there uh, for all individuals. But that's kind of what my experience has been. Awesome. Rob, as since he referenced you. <laughs> um, well, I chose one, but I really wanted to choose one in three because as much as we're doing work with more people involved virtually and, and getting more stakeholders involved, internal and external, I've also I've upped our use of data because there's a lot of gems in, in Salesforce, what, what the salespeople enter um, in some of the free text fields, we're not as lucky to have social media, um, to go to a social media site and people be, you know, are, are talking about Broadridge. But um, there is, um, there's a ton of stuff that comes up in our Salesforce feeds um, across the company. And I've also found, we just started doing this, but I also found that there's so many other places. We have, <clears throat> I think I said the last time, you know, we have um, 120 product people um, in my division and we have 350 in the other division there's about 500 product people in total that across you know managers and and support product support and a lot of them are going out and doing research there's notes throughout the company and what we've, we're trying to do is we're trying to mine other people's research now to see if we can pick out some of the gems that uh, you know there may be nuggets in each in, in other people's research that they just never thought about sharing it with us so, you know, there's a ton of data and somebody's got to curate that data and we're trying to go out there now and 
We're working with our, we have a center of excellence in India. We're working with them to actually create um, ways that we can mine that data automatically um, to go and find themes that might support some of the things that that we knew. So I would have loved to have chosen one and three. I guess I could have chosen four and wrote that in, but. Yes, you could have. Uh, and and actually we're gonna, we got a one of the questions that's gonna be coming up is gonna dig a little more into the data aspect. So I won't ask any probing questions now. Uh, and I'll let us let it come back to when we get to the, 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 that the final question. Steve, I'd love to get your take. Did you vote on this one? Yeah, I chose the same as you. Um, balance in person with virtual. When I uh, Grant, you've probably heard this story. When I, when I started writing my book turn ideas into a products available from Amazon. We're, we're not trying to make these product pitches. It's supposed to be open conversations among Indeed, people. So I'd appreciate right. you, you backing <laughs> off the pitch. <laughs> we'll cut that out of the video. So anyway, <laughs> when I was writing, uh, starting to write that book, I reached out to a hundred people over the phone and I was amazed how, you know, once you got past the weather or what the Cowboys are doing, you know, whatever it was, uh, we pretty quickly got into talking about product management, particularly in agile environments. And it was almost like five minutes in, we forgot we were strangers and people just opened right up. And, and, and one interview I was doing um, at the end of the interview, he said, you know, could you ask me that first question again? Because I didn't trust you when you asked it the first time. But I've had a really great conversation. I want to change my answer. Um, so it was it was really interesting, and and uh, and that was just using the phone, and yet I was able to make you know I was in a startup mode. I was able to make a hundred phone calls for free instead of if you can imagine it would take you a year to make a hundred customer visits face to face, and just trying to coordinate the time. Right, right. Right. I mean, just coordinating schedules is one of the hardest parts of in-person market visits. Where are you going to be? When are you going to be? How do you, okay, I'm here. And how do I get cross town for the next one? How long, you know, when can I do right. that? Uh, right. I mean, events, Tom had mentioned going to events and that type of stuff. That was one, that was my golden, right? If I could get to an event, uh, I would love it if I could get invited by a partner to speak at their event where I would have personas there. And I would schedule three dinners. Mm -hmm. I would have the early four o'clock dinner with somebody, the regular six o'clock dinner, and then a late eight o'clock dinner. And all of those dinners were chances to do the, A, build the relationships like Tom was talking about, but also to have those open-ended conversations and, 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 and build. Uh, so, and, uh, and, you know, in my experience, people are, I mean this in a nice way, they're really less interested in building a relationship and more interested in just having a conversation with an interesting person. You know whether we ever talk again, um, but uh, you know I think that I guess my my sales training back in the day I think overemphasized how important it was that people like you and you pretend to be likable, and you know I don't I don't <laughs> it's kind of like once you can fake sincerity you're made you know. <laughs> Um, I haven't had any problem with faking sincerity. I just get people on the call and say, you know, I'm really worried about this aspect of product management. Can you give me your guidance? And they're like, boom, we're in. I didn't have to, you know, pretend any happy talk. Um, but I will miss, I mean, all of this virtual stuff that I've been doing over the last years, um, I do miss the in-person. I, I don't miss the airport, but 
I do miss the in-person stuff. I, what the way I do my training today is typically an hour to an hour and a half in a lesson and then another hour in a retrospective and it's all on zoom and we use meeting groups or breakout groups and you know the the tools are there we use miro which rob mentioned you know the tools are there but i don't know there's something about being physically in a room with somebody that is just simply different and i i think ultimately we want to balance both of those yep i completely agree so let's get into our open-ended questions for the call uh, and the first one's going to be, what is going to be the biggest difference between market engagement in 2022 versus 2019? So I'm using 2022 as we've come out of this. We have some level of, you know, we're able to travel. We're able to do, you know, back to as status quo as it was before the pandemic as, as it's going to get. What's going to be the biggest difference between the way we did it in 2019 in the way we do it in the future, 2022. Uh, I'll start with, with Jason. Oh, you're killing me. I got a lead. Um, yeah. So I actually am going to um, kind of go back to what Rob is saying. I think with 2022, we will probably be leaning a lot more based on uh, data. I mean, we're, you know, <laughs> You know, I was just uh, coming off of the Netflix special, this, The Social Dilemma, and, and how they do all the advertising with all the data and looking at all, every kind of view of, of social media polls on uh, mobile devices. And um, I think that uh, that's going to set, and also what Netflix is doing with AI and, and learning from their customer base and those kind of things, that really kind of sets the tone of what we should be doing in product management and a little bit less um, kind of, uh, you know, advanced technologies that we're working on. I think by 2022, it's going to start pulling in, in into those realms and we'll have guidance on, listen, maybe talk to your customers less, give them access to things and then read the room um, using data and AI and start using that to make predictive decisions on what you should be doing with your roadmaps. Interesting. Big, it's a big, and what, I've got a data question coming up, so I'll also, also, some of, save some of it for that. But one of the biggest places in my head I, I start getting lost at is I, there's the old, I come from the old school of market visits to discover things we don't know. What are new problems? And maybe it's the difference between discovery for an existing product and the roadmap of that existing product as you take it through its life cycle versus discovery for a net new product or entering a new market, right? The, the Ansoft matrix type new product development, new market development. And I guess maybe it's, it's the lens is what, what type of uh, discovery are you doing? What, what is the importance of market engagement for it? Uh, I think the biggest difference, you know, personally, and I talked about earlier, I think that people are going to be more, it's going to be more available to do good market engagement, engaging with customers because of the virtual aspect, because of it's cheaper, because of that type of stuff. And people are going to be more used to it, but I'm not saying that that is there's good that could can be good because you can get more access to voices, but I also think it can be bad because you could be drowned and you know too much right at some point, you know. There's too many voices and there's too many calls and it and if, if you're not all these different ideas I, I know sometimes I can get lost with it, and so I think that the a big difference is going to be there's between data and 
all these easier ways to engage with people and talk with people, I think that the biggest difference is going to be the a more important need to filter the noise because there's so many more things coming in. So it's, you know, it used to be just about seeing patterns. Now it's going to be about seeing patterns through the noise and how do you decipher what's material and what's not. So Tom, I'd love your take. That's a mighty big crystal ball. <laughs> uh, a personal belief is, you know, we're six to nine months before even possibly coming out of this, um, which sets up 22 as, you know, recovery. And I think it's going it's, to, there's going to be a lag as to when people get out there and how they do it. So then, then, know, then for, 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 for you, put 2023 in that. I'm okay with that. The, the yeah. concept is, you know, once we get back to some <laughs> level of status quo or the new status quo. But I don't yeah, think that, there yeah. ever is going to be a new status quo. I, I, that, there are so many people that, I talk yeah. to who are like, oh, it'll be like 2019 again. You know, the, I, I think mm -hmm. our our world is irrevocably changed. Yes, and that that's it. Is there will be no normal as we remember it. Um, then what's the biggest difference be between determined. the two? Where do you think it is? Um, it's going to be what we talked about earlier as to how how you're building those relationships and the contacts you're making. How how do you get that information? Uh, you know, if you've got a network of friends, you know, people that you can ping that you can start to look for new ideas or, uh, you know, new product ideas or how to, you know, directions to take current products. Um, you're going to be relying more on the relationships you already built to get introductions to different areas, uh, virtual introductions, people that will help you. You, know, you need to have, go into it with some friends that will get you the introductions and help you get the trust from somebody. And then you can start to go forward with that. And, you know, like we talked about, the virtual seems to be going okay right now is, is getting that information, but it still comes down to relationship. It's how do they get off the ground from that point forward. And those, those of us that have some solid friends out there that we can ping and, and get the introduction will have a leg up. Those that don't have those are going to be looking for how do they do that, and they're going to be fairly lost. What you got going in that's going to be the difference. So it's going to be tough for new people in new roles who don't have those relationships. It it will be. It will be. I mean, I, I think about the current situation that I'm in and a couple of two or three projects I've got going outside of my primary work at ZM, and they come from, I mean, they they get teed up from relationships that I've had. And there are relationships that I've had for some time where somebody says, hey, I've got an idea or have you thought about this? And then we're off to the, the races with something. Um, somebody who hasn't had the time to develop those relationships would look at the market and not know necessarily where to begin, which you know, I remember being in that position years ago when I was getting into this. Is I, I had no idea who to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, somebody's got to be there to help guide you to tell you where to start. And once you get started, you start to learn where to go and, and do those things. But the people who don't, like you just said, the people who don't have that experience or have the current connections, it's going to be hard for them. 
Steve, mental note, let's, that's something we may want to be thinking about as our, with, our, with our professional development stuff, because uh, that definitely is an impact there. Yeah. Well, I was also, as, you, as Tom was saying that, I was also thinking, you know, in this community, we engage with people that we're not friends with. You know, some of them are friends, but some are friends of John's and some are friends of Jason. And so we're expanding our little network here of people who are have similar interests. And, you know, I think that the new, if, if you will, that the, the, the product managers that are coming up probably need to have communities like this around their domains. And I've worked with some younger product managers who completely embrace engaging with the market. And there are others that just say, well, can't I just buy a report somewhere? I mean, isn't there, you know, just a report with the answer in it that I could just highlight what I want to do? Um, so I think that communities, so one thought I have is, is how next year or the year after will be different is I think the old normal is gone. And we are, we're now familiar with Zoom and Teams. And uh, I think we're gonna be open to having kind of virtual meetings like this uh, going forward. I think we're also gonna see, I think a lot of management has, has come to this realization that it's kind of stupid for me to drive an hour and a half to the office and sit in my office all day and push words around on a computer and then drive home at the end of the day. I mean, why in the, what benefit was going to work when I've got a better setup at home? Uh, we're also seeing here in 2020, a huge housing boom as all sorts of people are saying, you know what? I didn't build a house for this. I got the wrong house. Uh, you know, I don't have a, a, an office. I see people sharing their offices and that's a, a terrible scenario. So. I think we're going to see offices are going to shift over to having more meeting rooms and fewer private offices so that when we come in, there's a place to meet. Um, and secondly, I think we're, we're going to see a need for more communities that uh, product managers to stay engaged with their market are going to have to join vertical communities to, to keep in touch with people they would not normally meet. Welcome to Steve's TED Talk on the future of work. Indeed. And Grant, you're showing the wrong slide. Actually, this is the same slide I was on. No, you're well, showing the wrong screen. Sorry, I'm, presenters. Oh, I'm showing the wrong screen? I'm showing everything? Yeah. Oh, okay. And your email. Really? There we go. Uh, I did that before, though. <laughs> yeah, I did a share the other day with somebody. And when I canceled out, I was still in Slack on top of a discussion that another person and I had had about this guy. And then I like skimmed through it to make sure I didn't say anything terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that will be different in 21 and 22 is we will have figured out what the hell it is we're sharing. Well, that's the problem with sharing the screen versus sharing the app. Uh, again, right. that could be a whole new show. We'll, we'll put that on, <laughs> on the schedule. Rob, I'm going to give you a quick chance for this question before, unless you want to get right to the data question. No, actually, I, I, I did want to um, respond to this because there's, there's so many great comments that came out of this. But I see it as sort of echoing what Steve said. Work is going to change. A lot of what we've been looking at is accelerated. The trends have accelerated. You know, and, and we, we especially see it in the digital world. 
things that we've done. And I, you know, I, I think about meetings, you know, we, we have this, um, uh, the annual general meeting of a, of a public company for 10 years, we tried to go digital with it. We did 1500 meetings in the last couple of months with it. So the work, the way we change is going to change. But a couple of interesting things that I, that I picked up in the conversation just now. So how you actually go out and do the, the analysis of the discovery, it's going to be different because the tools that people are going to use, they're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to go to an office to Steve's point and we're closing offices and people are voluntarily giving up their offices. So you're not going to be able to go there and see people work. They're going to be working in, a, in a, you know, you're not going to go to somebody's house. So there's going to be other ways that we can get inside their workflow and inside what, and again, I'm talking from a B2B standpoint, inside their workflow and understand that. The other thing that this is this has enabled us to do from a roadmap standpoint is to start looking at the world inorganically. We, you know, organic growth in in a mature business like ours, where we have a, you know, where where we have a, a large position in the market, and we're working off of you know legacy systems is you know, we can modernize that system, but it's a hell of a lot easier to go out and buy something. And to allow these small companies that are going to ride these, the trend and go out and buy them after they've built something, established something, and all we have to do is integrate, it's changed the way from a product standpoint of how we're looking at the future. So I think 2022 is going to be all the things that um, that we were hoping for, you know, in 2030 is not going to be in 2022. We're going to be more nimble, you know, we'll hopefully, you know, at least in our world, hopefully we'll be out of agile and onto agile. We're going to be looking at, at, at all these new digital tools that we can create. All the data is going to come to us automatically because I don't have to actually go out there. I can collect it off of the systems and help people using it. And I'm going to have a whole new stable of companies that have built something up in the last two or three years that I can go out and, uh, and I can acquire um, cheaply or, or cheaper than having to go into R&D and, and into uh, an NTD process to actually, to actually develop it myself. Uh, it's interesting, Rob, because I think this is the second week in a row you've brought up inorganic growth as part of the conversation. Uh, I think we need to do a a session, another future topic on the strategy role of product, right? Uh, big companies, some of them have a chief strategy officer, but the best ones I've seen have a chief product officer who looks at the strategy and then does build by decisions. But that got me off track from what really hit me. What you said is, God, we might not have offices to go visit clients in. You know, it might not be a place where you can watch them do their work right over their shoulders. And that's, a, that, that could be huge. Uh, I'm not having them to my house. So uh, that, that was, that was something I hadn't been thinking about, but it makes total sense. And I think, you know, that's going to impact a lot of that change. So thank you for putting that into my head. Uh, now, the next question I want to get people talking about is how will better access to analysis of data impact market engagement? And I'm not going to try to do the full panel on this one. I want to go specific to Rob on this one because you you talked about how you guys are starting to do some of this stuff. Talk to me about how will how you what you what you're looking at. So as I said before, we, you know we do we do a lot of we still do a lot of surveying uh, quantitatively and qualitatively. Everything now and, and it's always been this way. Everything has always been 
analyze, but we also do, um, we, we, we transcribe everything and we do, you know, we have an out ways that we actually do analysis on that, but we've been spending more time and we're not, you know, I wish sometimes that we were um, a consumer company because then we have all the great consumer responses on Yelp and all these other social media platforms. Um, but we spent a lot of time recently going through our Salesforce um, and seeing the open responses there. And it's, it's gems. It's absolute gems when you, when you start to code it. So I, I, I find that it goes back to the, it goes back to, you know, you can, uh, let me say this, you can get lost in data pretty quickly and it goes back to us being able to understand, you know, are we trying to learn something and then what data would we need in order to, to advance or to achieve that? And then where are we going to collect that data? Or are we trying to make a decision around something? And the same thing, what data would we need to make that decision? That alone, that, that thinking alone um, has helped us really focus in. And so that we've done that. The other thing we've done um, slowly, not as, as fast as I'd like, is we've actually started to curate data too. So we have all these subscriptions, we have all this stuff going on, and we've actually taken, um, whether it's interns or people, out of our Indian organization, and we've actually had to start uh, meta tagging information, and now you, now you can pull a file up at any time and start to see and see the trends that you know people are missing. So instead of having to go through and read everything, um, we're able to start to see those trends, and we're pulling those trends out of the out of the data. Right now, it's a very manual effort, but eventually it'll be automated. With that, I'm hoping you know I'm seeing a change. We're making you know to, to Steve's point. I think I think young, very junior product managers are scared to go out and talk to people. I think it's a generational thing. They they like the they like you know email and they don't want to get on the phone and cold call. And they got the bid, you put them in front of a a live person, they'll have a heart attack. And so you know the curation of data of an, of this kind of information gives them that sense that they have something to say, and they they become somewhat of an expert and they have some topics to talk about. So. Uh, that's how we're starting to use it, but there's so much more. I mean, we're barely scratching the surface on on how to actually use the data in a way that's going to make a difference in how we design products. What, does this data help guide your focus, right? Where do you look for discovery? Where do you look for engagement? Is, is that where you're doing it? No, it doesn't help at all with that. Um, you know, unless we're going out and doing, you know, we're, we're doing primary research. It doesn't help at all with that. What it does is it helps. It helps us. It helps inform. So it either challenges and supports what we're trying to think. But again, we we spend a lot of time before we do anything. Now, do we want to learn something, and, and what data would we need to learn it, and do or do we want to make a decision about something? And what data do we need in order to support that decision? That's that's cut down on a lot of the the, the you know the, before we were just doing lots and lots of useless work, and now that's cut down a lot on that, and we're becoming that's that's focusing us on being able to be um, effective in that. But the data alone is, I mean, you know, the, unless it's primary research and a specific question, the data alone, you know, what you pull from the Salesforce is just, it's helpful, but there's no, there's real no nuggets there in terms of uh, innovation and discovery. And that's sort of where I was wondering uh, with that. So Jason, you talked a little bit about data and uh, in, in one of your earlier uh, answers, you know, where do what do you think the biggest impact is going to be? So I think using data that we don't that's external to our to our company right now. So um, you know, we all talk about data that we're measuring for our customers and and what they're doing. 
but I think other external data resources are going to be available to us that'll help us analyze trends in the market for, for our prospects, basically the market of customers that we don't have. And, um, and I think, you know, how understanding how to utilize that data without having to, like I said, you know, talk to the customers, but you want to solve, see what business problems there are out there and how to get access to the, to uh, others, research, other analytics, uh, and you, that you can actually utilize. And so it's just more of like, how do you utilize third-party data to, to help you, um, you know, solve the problems? Awesome. Steve or Tom, do either of you have a take on this before we move to the final question? No, I don't, I don't have anything to add there. <laughs> well, um, of Steve course always has something to add. Of course I do. <laughs> you know, it seems to me that the, the people who are doing some serious stuff with data science are focused primarily on operational data. Uh, there's, there's some, you know, tremendous stories about how Walmart is shifting around the stuff on its floor based on the weather forecast and stuff like that. Um, I haven't heard many stories about how data has informed product management as much as it's been informing operations, except I recently read about somebody going through the, the um, response cards and, and seeing something that they'd never noticed before. So Fender guitar has like all the guitar makers are seeing, you know, like kind of a fall off of um, sales and that somebody was going through some, uh, maybe it was a data scientist, maybe it was just a product manager who didn't have anything to do that day, was going through the registration cards and came up with a hypothesis. And it turns out it was right. 50% of purchases of guitars are made by women for their own use. And the male dominated profession basically said, oh, they must be wives and daughters, right? They're buying them for their boyfriends or husbands or, or sons. And it turns out they were buying them for themselves. And, and Fender has redirected a substantial amount of their marketing resource into building guitars and advertising guitars to women. Um, and that was entirely data informed. So I mean, there's a place where data could definitely help with segmentation and seeing emerging trends if you see that type of stuff happening. I, yeah. I, I, I love that story, Steve. Thank you. I've never heard it before. Was that sarcasm? It did I tell sarcasm. you the story earlier? Yeah, <laughs> yes. apparently I did. Did I tell it every? Oh, anyway. No, you didn't tell it to everybody. It was I've in got the, great it was stories. Stuff, it was in the stuff we were recording last week. Ah, uh, that's what it was. Okay. So with that, we're, we're running out of time. And this is going to be our round robin quick answer. Uh, and that's why I had turned off the thing because I've switched the question order for that. We're going to start left to right in my screen. So Rob Goldberg is the person who's going to go first. Then it's Jason, Tom, and then Steve. Where is the biggest impact of new approaches to market engagement going to be seen? Uh, I think in uh, collaboration tools. Like the ones you talked about earlier. Yeah. C collaboration tools. Jason. Yeah, I, I guess after this conversation as well and, and thinking more about it, I have to agree, um, you know, through collab collaboration tools and yeah, data. All right, Tom. I'm going to have to go with the same thing. It's how we collaborate. <laughs> okay. 